Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor Joaquin G. Molina invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. We give you thanks for your goodness in this place, oh God. We give you thanks, Lord, that there's a place that we could come and seek you. There's a place that we could come and open our hearts to you. There's a place that we can grow in our understanding and in our walk with you. Lord, and that all is a reality because of what Christ's birth did 2,000 years ago. Coming into this planet, Lord, to make a difference, Lord. And as he becomes a reality in our hearts and in our walk and in our life, in our families, Lord, that we might be fruitful and giving forth that Christ that was born to all those that surround us, O oh God. And as we eat, O oh God, and we further grow and walk in the Lord, that we would reflect his glory, that people might see Jesus in us, O oh God, and that salvation, Lord, becomes a reality to the ends of the earth. We pray that you would prosper this message to all those that are here, all those that will hear it, O oh Lord, and all those that will share in this message from this day forward. We give you thanks for the privilege and the honor to be here to listen to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to start off with this morning as, as my wife was waking me up. She says, uh, come on, we got to go get stuff ready for the kids. And, and I said, let's, let's move in that direction, right? And, and the Lord is saying there, and, and just open up my heart to these words. Just like your wife are getting ready to move in the direction to do something for your kids, this was, the, this was the reason for me having been birthed upon the earth. That my cause would be a cause greater than every individual self. And we get to all partake in going to do something for someone else. I said, Lord, explain to me that a little bit more. He says, I have come into this world to bring salvation to men. And I've brought you into salvation and now you're a part of this saving movement of God. And I want to start off in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 11. As I, and you know, some people, I, I can't help it if, like on Friday night, somebody says, Pastor, do you have Sunday's message yet? And I said, no, it's Friday night. And I still, the word of the Lord had not come. But this morning, it came, and it came like a torrent of a waterfall. And here the Lord says this, and we'll read it together in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. He took me to the very uh, beginning of everything. Today, December 25th, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And you don't have to look for him anywhere else because he is Christ Jesus the Lord. you imagine that? That, that there's a specific introduction in this day, December 25th, where I know, I know that the whole world is lost and looking for a Savior. It's sad that people have become so cynical that they have stopped looking. They have said, you know something, not in my generation. Maybe yesterday, maybe tomorrow, but not now. And I want to tell you, if you've never heard the good news, is that this day, the Savior... Christ Jesus came into the world. And so you begin to ask yourself, what, what, what about this Savior? It's, it's a salvation to men uh, they haven't uh, understood. I, 
I, I, in my practice of law about 10 years ago, I met a Jewish man. And um, I asked him, I said, I don't understand how you came to Jesus. I mean, you're Jewish. And you know what he told me? It was so simple. It was, it was crazy because when he told me, I said, the duh. He says, Joaquin, I was looking for a savior. And Jesus is a savior. That was it. It was that simple. And it was so, so authentic in his response to me that I, I said, Joaquin, you're so dumb. I mean, if you're looking for a savior and you run into Jesus, he's a savior, you get saved, and that's how he became a Christian. And I want to tell you that, that we don't realize the depth of what's going on. But even before he was born, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, it's the, the announcement of Jesus' coming was, was long announced before he was ever birthed into this world. And here in Matthew 1.21, it says, she will give birth to a son, and you're to give him a name. I want to say that there's a name above all names. You're to give him a name, and his name shall be Jesus. Why? Because Jesus means God saves. And why Jesus? Because he will save his people from their sins. This is, this is the premise of the life of Christ. And, and we're going to get deeper into the significance of Christ having come to this world. We can't appreciate it. I'm going to tell you why we can't appreciate it, that Jesus has come into the world. You know why you can't appreciate it? Because we are already seeing civilization healed of much of its ills. Imagine with me, if you can, for one second, a plague that has stricken the world. I don't know if you, did you guys ever see the monkey movie that, that it just, they show the map and, zzz, and, and Florida gets sapped out and then West Virginia and the virus is in Africa and Asia. I don't know. Have you seen that movie? It's about a, like a mosquito virus that breaks out upon the earth and they can't stop it. Well, let me tell you something. Before Jesus was born in the earth, and we're going to get to that now, because once you see the expression of it, you're going to say, why did I take so long in coming to get my antidote? Why, did I, did not, why didn't I come and get my under-the-blood covering? And, and so before Jesus was upon the earth, darkness was at an all-time rampage because, because there was no light in the world. There was no saving. People, I mean, the, the people were walking into their pagan temples. They were, they were into pornography. They were into lewdness. They were into all manner of twisted philosophy. But until Christ came, the light shone. And why you and I cannot appreciate the level of light we're living in is because he's already been here 2,000 years and he's mopping up the mess. And we're coming into this world only seeing the effects. Listen to me. Christ the Savior has come into this world and rampantly vanished and warped. Listen to me. Every law that is respected and written and governing the people, you know who set it in place? Christ our Lord. When there's no laws, when there's no order, chaos is rampant and Christ is born. And you're going to see the effects of this. I want to tell you that the greatest nation in the world that people were flocking to because of the peace and the joy and the liberty, this nation is all because of Christ's teaching. No other, no other philosophy. It's no other mindset. It's no other reality. It's Christ who has come in the full force. And I'm like, Lord, I want you to save me again. 
I want to get saved all over. I, I want your salvation to come into the deepest part of who Joaquin is and who my marriage is. And I want the light of Christ and that salvation reality. How many think if Christ came to save, he's going to keep you lost? If he's come to save, he's coming to save. And, and I, you know, I'm like the prodigal son, even I've been a Christian now for almost 30 years, and I'm still telling the Lord, Lord, save me from myself. Save me from my selfishness. Save me from my stupid thoughts, my stupid words, my stupid attitudes. Lord, save me. And you could say the same thing. You could say, Lord, save. Because the Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned. Every single one of us. I don't care who you are or how much of a Christian you are. In fact, sometimes Christians are worse than non-Christians. And you can say amen there. Sometimes Christians are worse than non-Christians. So we need salvation. And the Bible says we don't have to boast in being better one than the other because the Bible says all have sinned. The virus has struck us all. And at, at really twisted level, you know what the most nasty viruses are? The ones that you could hide. The ones you can't find. If you're in a hospital and they're looking for your sickness and it hides because it's warping and transforming and metamorphing. And, and sometimes cancer does that. It's a, it's a cell that begins to warp and pretend like it's part of the body, but it's destroying the body. And so those are the worst type of cells, the ones that say, I'm doing great. Listen, we have all sinned. We are all perverted. We are all twisted. We all have our times and our issues and our place. We have such deep darkness we don't have to be embarrassed about it because the Bible says we've all sinned and we've fallen from, from God's goodness, from his glory. And that's where we stand as a human being. I want to approach you with the understanding that every single person you'll ever meet is twisted and corrupt. And the less he looks like it, the more he is. The, less, the more formal he could appear to be proper, that guy is twisted to the core. And, and many of these guys are preachers like myself, where God says he picked the worst. He's picked the scum of the earth to represent him. It's almost like getting, I don't know if you've been at the carnival, and you get a piece of carpet, and you, you really stain it. You need to really stain it so you can see the power of the detergent that comes in and cleanses it. So God picks these wicked people like myself, and like Paul, he says, I was the chief of all sinners. I was the principal. I was the leader of the leader in the scummiest and most twisted. You know why that happens? Because now when a pedophile stands before me, I don't say, yuck. When a homosexual stands before me, I don't say, ooh. When a transvestite is before me, I'm like, get him out, get him out. I'm like, no, he's just like me. He's, he's just as lost. There's darkness pervading. When I met Jose Medeiros, how many saw our pastor in Mexico before he got saved? Boy, scary, scary looking man with long hair down to here, skinny. He looked like a transvestite. He looked like a twisted sex, uh, lewdness, twisted sin had taken him to the worst of becoming a homeless. And when I saw him, I saw the blood of Jesus. I said, you're going to be an evangelist. You're going to be a preacher of righteousness. You're going to represent God. And he's doing that in Mexico. Over 5,000 families have come to the Lord because the saving grace of Jesus Christ came upon his life. And so um, I didn't know all this when I started preaching. I, I thought good people were good people and bad people. No, no, no. I learned that the, those who say they're good, they're so wicked, they say that God doesn't even exist. That's, that's outright wickedness. When, you're, when you stand against the God who's given you grace, who's given you breath, he says he gave breath to all mankind. 
And so here we all stand lost as sinners. And so I don't know who's going to be hearing this message, but I want you to understand you, you don't shame God with your sin. He already knows. He already knows that man is lost. He knows that man has fallen. He knows that man is not living like God created him. He knows that the thoughts that have come into our mind were never supposed to be there in the first place. There, this fear that has stricken the heart of man that God is going to abandon him when God says, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you. And you see people hoarding wealth, trying to say, just like the day when God leaves me. This is for the time that I'm not going to be with God. And so you get your 401K, your 301X, your 702, right? And you get everything for the day that God's grace won't come. And guess what? You have to know God is good. And his mercy endures forever. And from the rising of the sun until it's going down, we're going to see his favor. We're going to see his peace. We could say, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Every ill that has pervaded mankind because of the absence of God is, an say with me, abnormality. When you can't smile, it's abnormal. Because God brought us to have joy and to have peace and to have like a father's embrace. My father will never leave me, nor will he forsaken me. And when Christ comes in, in this reality of, and this happened to me 28 years ago, and I'm, I'm just as excited today, more so than the day it happened, because the day it happened, I was like an orphan. Are you really going to take care of me? Are you going to take me? Do I trust you? Do I not trust you? Man, I'm, I'm just throwing myself into his arms. I, I want to, you know, sometimes you, you see safety mechanisms, and saf safety mechanisms are for faulty doors. I want to walk on water. I want to know God so incredibly tangible that I'm not faking it. I, I, it's a real relationship. And so he says that be, in verse 24, Romans 3, 23 and 24, it says, all are freely justified by his goodness because redemption has come, could you say with me, through Jesus Christ. There's, there's really installment. There's real fulfillment. In, in that package deal called salvation for mankind. And it, this redemption and grace is because of this vessel of Jesus Christ. And I want to tell you, and I don't know if you know that I really want to serve him. <laughs> salvation is the main thing. It's so incredibly powerful that it's the main thing. And I want to tell you, long before Jesus came in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says, of this salvation... Two types of messengers, 1 Peter 1.10. We're talking concerning this salvation. The messengers of God, say with me, prophet. That's a messenger of God. He'll send you a prophet from time to time to speak his truth, to send his message. And he says, the prophet spoke of this grace. Concerning about the time that salvation would come on this Christmas day, the prophet spoke of how, listen to me, say with me, free. It's free. That's, that's amazing. A wretched sinner with nothing. I said, Lord, why do you care about me? I have nothing to give you. I, I have nothing. I, I can't even pay you back. I can't. It's free. He's not expecting any. Uh, Ephesians 2.5 says, you are saved by grace and not of works. It's just a gift. And, and, and he made us alive in Christ when we were dead in our trans transgressions. We were dead. We had gotten dead red-handed 
in our sin, in our muck, in our mud, totally detached. I, I want to tell you how totally detached. If such a great God exists, where should we be but bowing down at his feet? If, if this salvation is so intense, and so indifference is just as bad as wickedness. When, when you see such a great God and you're hanging out like nothing, hey, brother, aren't you bowing down before the king of glory? Nope. I don't even know who the king of glory is. And so indifference is just as bad as those people that knowing that God exists, they walk away from him. And the Bible says that in Peter, 1 Peter 1.10, that these prophets looked into. They carefully searched these things out. What grace would come to who? To us. They searched, say intently, and with greatest care. You know, I want to tell you something. When I found Jesus Christ, I wasn't looking for him. I wasn't being intentional. And I wasn't being careful in trying to look for salvation. I was disconnected. And there in my worst rebellious disobedient with a passion for lust and uh, rebellion, he says, hey, hey, come here, come here. I got, I got a plan for you. I wasn't looking for him. This is love that he first loved us. Not that we loved him. It makes it all the greater because I was like, I want to hang around people that appreciate me. If you don't appreciate me, I won't sit with you. And here Christ is coming to look for people that don't appreciate him and don't serve him and aren't looking for him. And he's knocking on their door. He's going, hey, hey, I want to come in and be a part. I want to bring all my package deal into your life. I want to bless you in every step that you take, every breath that you take, everywhere you go. I want to be part of this. And it says they look. You know why they were looking for this? They were a little bit brighter than you and I. They actually wanted things to go well with them. So they were looking for the waterfall that was falling so they could stand underneath it and they could say, ah, I found the springs of eternal life. That's why they were looking for it. But you and I, we weren't looking for diddly squat. We were looking for our next thrill, our cheap thrill. We were just living for ourselves. No, these guys were trying to figure out where is the light of the world. Some of them caught on to the prophetic, the Daniel, and they started following a star. Would you do that? These guys did. Why? Because they wanted the opportunity to kneel down and give their best to an eternal king, to a kingdom that would last forever. And you and I didn't do that, and yet he found us. And as you start looking for how uh, diligently and how carefully, listen, listen, there was over a hundred encoded messages in the Old Testament that talked about Jesus. And they, they were scripted. They were, they were only for those people that would diligently search the scriptures day and night. Say, man, I got to put this. How, what are the dots? Where is this going to take place? And listen to what, what some of the things they heard. It, Isaiah 7, 14, he would be born of a virgin. Micah 5, 2, he would be born in Bethlehem. It, it was a strategic pinpointed place. And this is all in the Old Testament. In Genesis 49, 10, he says he would come from the tribe of Judah. The next verse says in Isaiah 9.1, his ministry would start north of Bethlehem. He had to be born in, in Bethlehem, but he would grow up in Galilee. So just so many pinpointed things. And when they look through the Old Testament, they find that he would work miracles. He would teach in parables. Psalm uh, 78.2 says he would teach 
the kingdom of God using parables. Zechariah 9.9 says he would enter Jerusalem riding a donkey. Listen, kings do not ride donkeys except our king. And here's one of his donkeys right here. Isn't that awesome? But it was prophetic. It was, he would be a king to come into Jerusalem, not riding a white horse. Did you guys say uh, Saddam Hussein, right? He's riding a white horse. He's the king of Iraq. Arr. Listen, Jesus came, a humble, riding on a donkey. And it was written in the Bible. In this, in this book of Zechariah 9.9, that he would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey. In Psalm 41.9, it says he would be betrayed by a best friend. Nowadays, it's almost like common, right? That would be no big deal. But back then, your most trusted advisors would never betray you. And it says that he would be betrayed by one who sat at his side. It says that he would be sold. Listen to me. The price on his head was 30 pieces of silver. And we see this in Zechariah 11, 12. It's just the exact price of his betrayal is written over 500 years before he's born. It says like this in Psalm 35, 11, he would be falsely accused. And the Bible says that during his trial, people lied and they falsely accused him. In Isaiah 53, 5, he says he would be wounded and bruised. You figure if he's going to be wounded and bruised in the times of the Romans, they would actually break these people's feet that were crucified so they would suffocate. Except not one bone of his body was broken. He was preserved from that, that last experience. When they went to check on him, he was already dead. They didn't have to suffocate him. He had already died. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen says he would have wounds on his hands and on his feet. He would be crucified next to thieves, unlawful men, Isaiah 53, 12. And the Bible says and history tells that they put two thieves on either side. And we have the whole conversation of these two thieves while Jesus is being crucified. One of them saying, Lord, remember me when you go into your kingdom. The other one is saying, why don't you save us, you idiot? If you are a savior, we're up here. We need salvation. And it was cursing him. That's not a good thing to be doing at that time. Psalm 22, verse 18, said that they would tear his garments and they would actually gamble for his coverings. And there they were. Some Roman shoulders were, were throwing dice. They divided my garments amongst the, them and they cast lots for my clothing. We see this fulfilled in the life of this one man. Psalm 34, verse 20, it says, Hit not one of his bones would be broken. Psalm 34, 20. All of them would be preserved. He protects all his bones, and not one of them will be broken. The Bible says that his side would be pierced, and Zechariah 12.10 was accurate as it foretold that the Roman soldiers would approach the cross and give that final spear right here so that all his liquids would fall out, and he was pierced. The cross, uh, the, the Bible says it in the New Testament as he hung there on the cross. In Isaiah 53 verse 9, it says that a rich man would he would have a rich man's burial. And how does a poor carpenter who is not after money in this lifetime ends up staking claim to a, a rich man's grave? Well, the Bible says that there was a man there that donated his burial site to Jesus. Isaiah 53.9 says he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Psalm 16 verse 10 said he would rise from the dead. The guy would come back. He would come back from the grave. All these to tell you the story of our Savior. 
And we're going back to 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're re- reading now verse um, 11, where it says, trying to find out the times and the circumstances. These guys diligently tried to study the times and the circumstances through which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing. They were like shooting arrows that were flying forward into the future. And guess what? All throughout the 66 books of the Bible, every single prophetic word that was launched as an arrow, you know who they hit? Jesus. Through the course of 6,000 years, every time somebody threw an arrow talking about the Messiah, talking about the Savior, talking about the circumstances, they flew time. They died. Those men died, and the arrows kept on flying. And then all of a sudden, they all, every single one of them hit Jesus Christ. And I'm amazed that this Savior will be born. And we're going to get into the depth of that because look what it says here. They were pointing and predicting the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. Would you ever tell a story about a great Savior that would come to do great things and then say how awful it would be? Only in the life of Christ. How could he bring such incredible salvation and suffer such deep persecution? How was he supposed to save the world? This is what threw Judas off. He says, where is the king that's going to throw off the Romans, man? You're not going to throw off the Romans, man. I'm giving you up for 30 pieces of silver. I'm going my own way. He thought it was a political campaign that was going to overthrow the Romans. And, And Jesus, when he said these words, my kingdom is not of this world, he threw Judas off completely. He says, forget about it. We need to wait for another one. But Jesus was talking about eternal salvation, an eternal kingdom. My kingdom is not of this world. I'm not going to be able to project and promote things that are that are." Um, temporal. It's a, it's a suffering, a deep suffering, but then the glories that would follow. They were looking for these things. Verse 12, we go on and we see, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves. Thank God for those men of God who lived a long time ago. They were serving future generations, speaking of the things that they have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel, to you and by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Say with me, even angels want to look into these things. Angels didn't have a clue what God was going to do. And you and I not only have a clue, we are the fulfillment of his salvation. We're riding the boat, man. We're Noah's ark right now. We're on the boat and we're getting saved from all the things that would have been happening had we not been saved. I'm sitting there looking at this thing and I'm saying angels want to know Why we are part of a message, and there is no greater message than the message of the salvation of Christ. I don't know what you're promoting. Could could we have some examples? I know some people here work for Amway. Some people work with Tupperware. Some people work, listen to me. There's no greater message in our existence than to promote the salvation of mankind through Christ. There's no greater purpose for our existence but to glorify the king. You're going to want to be up in heaven saying, I got the salvation and I proclaimed it wherever I went. I used to tell people in my law office, listen, we're going to talk about your legal problems for an hour, but we're going to talk about salvation for two. There's something more important than your divorce. There's more important than, than your adoption, than your name change, than your than buying a house, than your being sued. There's something you need to know. I had a guy chasing me for five years wanting to sell me life insurance. 
And finally, I just got fed up when I could afford it. And I said, okay, I'm going to give you one hour to talk to me why I need life insurance. And then I'm going to talk to you one hour as to why you need to save your soul. Because Matthew 16, 26 says, what does it profit a man if he should win the whole world and lose his soul? What are we going to do with that? What good is it that you would be known as however? I had a friend of mine, a lawyer, he says, Joaquin, I bought 35 properties this year. I'm like, you poor fool. You poor fool. Who will inherit all these things when you perish? They're coming for you tonight. This world is going to be over in a blink of an eye. A friend of mine just went home a month ago. He's a preacher. God says, come home. You're done. Now, where's eternity we're facing? What shall it profit? What, good, what are you promoting? These guys that promote different things in a different season of their life, like they did in Mexico. They used to promote something called henequen. I, I want to take you back to that season. These guys were, were growing gold. It was a time where rope was made out of a tree. You remember those old ropes? Where they used to use them at the post office. They were rough. You had to be real old to remember that. Because now they, they introduced nylon, right? But in those old days, Dan, you remember that? That rope, would, if, you, if they would pull it, it, it would put splinters in your hand. That, that was what they used in those seasons. You remember, sir, right? Yeah, old enough, just like us. And, and guess what? Then nylon came in. You guys got to go to those lands that they were growing, and again, the, the, the plant that made these ropes, it's a ghost land. Nothing exists out there no more. I, I went a couple years ago because I wanted to see the king of rock and roll. I went to Graceland, and I started crying. The glory of this world fades so fast. I have an iPhone. Elvis never even saw an iPhone. He lived for the glory of this world, and it's passing quick. He never had anything. He didn't have a blackberry or blueberry or raspberry. He had his blue suede shoes, and guess what? Nobody wears them anymore. And we live for these things. And when we stand before the light of his glory, we're going to feel like fools. Because God has given us the greatest salvation known to all men. I, I want to, you know something, if we could spend the whole 2012 just getting better at, at, at sharing the message of grace, the message of salvation, making Jesus real to those people that are around us. I don't, I don't think we're doing service to him. I mean, it's his birthday and the house is empty. It's the day he was born, and people would rather be playing dominoes. Oh, Lord. They'd rather be getting drunk than, than sipping on the Spirit of God. No greater message, no greater ministry, no greater reward. A crown of glory. We stand before the presence of God. If we understood salvation, the rewards are eternal. There's no worthier cause. I have people calling me, hey, would you like to donate to save the whale? I go, which one? Save the whale. Save the spotted owl. Save the turtle eggs. Save God knows what. But when you talk to them about their own salvation, they're ignorant. They have no clue. Save the bald eagle. I'm all for bald things. There's no more, more earth-shattering consequence than missing out on Jesus Christ. There's no more permanent devastation than to lose your soul. Psalm 49 verse 8 says, What will a man give for the ransom of his life? It's too costly. Some people have fire insurance. I'm not going to hell. I, I accepted Jesus Christ when I was 12. Listen to me. 
You need to get some more of that salvation. It's a daily experience. It's a daily reality. If you could get plugged into the message, plugged into the person, plugged into the life, plugged into the spirit, walk in the word of his salvation. What ransom is there for life? No payment is ever enough. And some of us still will not be able to share this message with our loved ones. We have to be experts on this message. We have to not allow it to grow stale. Some of you are selling Christianity like it was last year's bake sale brownies. They're moldy, old, and rotten. We have to make it fresh, live, exciting. It has to be a reality in our lives. Never allow it to grow stale or indifferent. Never silenced. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.4, preach this salvation when it's time and when it's not time. In season and out of season. Joaquin, don't you ever get off this message? No, my friend. And one day in eternity, it will resound in your ears the times you sat before me and Christ was reaching for you, reaching for your family, reaching for your descendants. You were hoarding, you were running, you were fugitive, you were a prodigal son, and you never understood that the door to the house of God is open to you. He's made it wide open. We have to trade off these things. In Luke 19.10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. You know who are the most lost people? You know who they are? I've been lost before. You don't even know you're lost. That's how lost you are. That's, that that's, has happened to me. My wife says we're lost. I said, no, we're not. <laughs> I was convinced we're not lost. And I kept on driving and crossed two state lines before I admitted I was lost. <laughs> that's how we are. We went right through Alabama, right into Tennessee. And she says, I think we're lost. I said, no, we're not. I went faster. I went. We were lost. And there's no greater of a lost person than the person who thinks they're not lost. And I want to tell you that here God stands seeking. That's why he brought you here tonight. This is why you're hearing this message. He wants you. John 3, 7 says, God did not send his son to the world to judge the world, but that through him the world might be saved. John 3, 7. You don't have a pointing finger at you. You don't have a condemnation at you. You don't have somebody accusing you. You have somebody saying, come. Come, look at these young guys that are in here. God wants to save you guys so bad. Save you guys so bad. I, I, I thank God that he saved me when I was a teenager. Boy, I was lost. 1 Timothy 1.15 says, here is a trustworthy saying. You could bank on these words. This has, the 1 Timothy 1.15, this is worthy of full acceptance. You don't have to subtract from this. Christ came into the world to save sinners, and Paul says, I qualify. That's it. What, What other story is there? Is there any other story? Is there any other message? This is, you could guarantee this reality, and I want to celebrate Christmas another two weeks, man. I want to, I want to give it the full force and effect I want it to be wholly delivered that Christ came into this world to save sinners of which I am. My mom always gets mad when I say this. My son wasn't that bad. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. If you want to understand what difference Jesus made in this world, you read the Bible and you see all of them pointing to him. Listen to this message. He's a prophet greater than Moses. That means he's the one that tells things. See, see, 
Let me get this real quick. Please, listen to this. I know we're, we're cutting on time here. When God decided that he needed to go save man and he needed to go tell man he was getting saved, he trusted in no one else but himself. Imagine if he would have called Dan. Dan, go tell the world I'm coming to save. Dan's like, oh, you know something? Not today, maybe tomorrow. And he tells Orlando, he says, my, my agenda is too busy, Lord. God says, listen, I need this salvation to go even to Ian. And so Jesus comes and delivers the message. He comes in bodily form, and he delivers the message to Louis Rodriguez. Oh, my God. He didn't trust anybody else. It was him himself who came to the earth, not only to save men, but he himself to proclaim the salvation he was bringing. He says he looked for another man, couldn't find anyone, so he decided to come himself. I need to make sure Dan gets the message. I can't rely on George Caracol because he's busy all the time. Here, here's the message. And he delivers. And you know what he says? You've been served. That's what us lawyers used to say. You know what that means? You have notice. Grandma, you have notice. You've been served. You got the, listen, you got, Emilio, you got the message, man. The, the, Christ has, you know I mean? The Lord himself has delivered the message of his goodness, of his salvation. Soila, he's put you on notice. Me lady. He comes himself, Jurgen. My goodness, Jurgen. The Lord himself has come to care about who nobody cares. Jenny, you've been served. You know there's a salvation. You know there's a savior. You know there's a way. There's no other way. Acts chapter, let's read that real quick. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. He says, no other name. And I don't care who gets upset. I don't care what happens. You know what? There's just not any other name on, in heaven or on earth. Acts 4, 12. Salvation is found in no one and nothing else. For there's no other name under heaven that has been given to men through which they might find a salvation. Period. You don't have to argue. You don't have to worry. I'm going to tell you why no other name. Listen, he's a greater prophet than Moses. He came himself. He's a greater priest than Aaron. He's a greater king than David. The message was delivered wholly because there is no greater God, no greater man, no greater message. The greatest man who ever lived is Jesus Christ. And you serve him. You have come before his presence. I'm just a messenger. He was born in an obscure village, one man wrote. He was the child not of a rich, wealthy king or general. He was a child of a peasant little woman. He grew up in another village far from the place where he was born. That means that his own neighborhood couldn't even lift him up. He was born as a stranger in a neighborhood where no one knew him. Where he worked as a carpenter under his father's tutelage until he was 30 years old. They only knew him. Listen to me. He's 30 years old and they only know him as the son of the carpenter. He's not even like the main man and he's 30. He's going nowhere. But there in his obscurity, he didn't have any promotion, no special schooling. He begins an itinerant preacher ministry, going from village to village, town to town. He never wrote a book. He never held office. He never had a family or a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city like Athens or Corinth. 
I want to challenge you that today there's a Corinth on every corner in Miami. And we're called to take the authenticity of Christ to these places. We need to be well-versed. He never visited a big city like Miami. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place he was born. He did not know. He didn't hang out with anyone. None of the things that usually accompany greatness were part of his life. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when everyone turned against him. His friends, his friends ran away. One of them denied that he knew him three times, his best friend, Peter. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial of injustice. He was held out as a thief, as a Charles Manson, as a Ted Bundy, as a total derelict in our society. No respect, no honor. He was made fun of. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. His ex executioners gambled for his garments. The only prop property he ever had on earth was those clothes. He was dead. He was laid in a borrowed grave through pity of friends. The 19th century has come and gone. Today, he is the central figure in the human race. He has accomplished more than any army that has ever walked the face of the earth. He has had a movement greater than any navy that has ever sailed the seas. As I sit there and look at these things, the governments who sat, the kings who sat, the thrones they sat upon did not affect your life or mine or the life of any single human being upon the earth like Jesus Christ has. Christ the Savior is born. It gets better than that because this obscure figure that has transcended time and space, he is the central figure in what not some of situations he is a world changer extraordinaire this man has more books written about him than any book upon the face of the earth no man has written anything more than what they've been written about jesus christ in fact he said it in the gospel of john if we read together the gospel of john 21 25 had Books been written of all the things Jesus has done. There would be no room for them in the whole world. Jesus did many other things. John 21, 25. Many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose even the whole world would not have enough room so those books could be written in. I want to challenge you that Christianity was the course and the light of His saving grace that created, say with me, printing press. There was not one book printed upon the face of the earth until Christianity came into existence. It was a Christian man who created the printing press, and I want to tell you what was the first book to ever been printed, George Caracol? The Bible. His, the history of his book. The reality, Xavier uh, Cornejo, you will do well, but you will not surpass the publishing of Jesus Christ and his book. It's amazing that before he was birthed, I want to tell you something. He was the single cause for the existence of, say with me, hospitals. Hospitals is a Christian concept because in the old days before Jesus Christ, if you were sick, they'd throw you under the bus. They'd set you down the river. If you were a baby and you were blind, they'd throw you into some crevice. If you were deaf, you were youthless. 
And it was only Christ that brought light in all these fields to bring literacy and education when he told his disciples, go into all the world and make disciples. That's where the education system started. Because before, only boys of a hierarchy of some privileged family could go to school. It was Christ who opened the doors to learning and knowledge, sending out his servants to educate the masses. Thank you, Lord. I would have never been to the university. He opened up higher learning at levels that was incredible. Every major branch of science is accredited to the Christian faith. You know why? Because they were seeking for light. They were seeking to know truth. The biggest and brightest universities founded in the United States, Hale, Harvard, Harvard, all these big education, higher learning were seminaries, Bible school. Sunday school was opened up at church to educate the villagers. If you were born in a certain class, you could never read or write or, or learn how to. The, the missionaries would go into jungles and they would teach tribal indigenous um, aborigines how to read and write, how to love, how to respect. It was the good Samaritan that caused hospitals to open. You know what the Red Cross symbol is? The cross of Christ. The saving grace of our Lord. When we start to accumulate the amount of scenarios that Christ came into the world to do, you're going to freak out. In John 3, 14, we have this concept that the Lord wanted us to know. He wanted us to know the concept of, of reaching out to the lost. Let's read that real quick. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so Jesus Christ must be lifted up. You know what the single symbol of health care in the world is? It's a snake that's lifted up in a pole. Why? Because it was started by the Christian faith who began to care for the sick and the needy. And it was Christ the one that reaches out to those that are insignificant. How many have been healed by the name of Jesus? All over the world. This saving grace is greater than just religion or philosophy. Because it wasn't until these uh, philosophers began to give their hearts to God that they began to move in this understanding. It was all these German philosophers that began to teach the aspects of life and cherish life and the cell. You know what? Jesus became the greatest teacher the world has ever known. He's the one that taught the revolution to all classes. He pioneered the greatest schools. People in India now, there's a caste system. They're the guys that carry the buckets from house to house with all the sewage. They're called the untouchables. Christians have gone and touched them, and now they have the honor and the dignity greater than the wealthiest people in India because that's what Christ does. He transforms us. As I sit here and I look at all these people who begin to abolish slavery, you know why slavery got abolished? Because of Christians. You know why human sacrifices in Mexico and, and all the tribal areas and these indigenous empires stop? Because of Christian missionaries and the respect for life. I want to challenge you that we need to press more into these things. We need to become real disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to start pronouncing, and I've always said it in this particular church, there's two things that's going on in the world through the church. One is reaching the lost, and the other one sanctifying the saint, getting them prepared to be authentic believer. Reaching the lost and perfecting the saints. Reaching the lost and perfecting the saints. Yeah, uh, most of you have been in 
in the presence of somebody who reached out to you from this church, and that's why you're here. So we've done that. But could I, could I please get a commitment that we're going to begin to share salvation more authentically and reach out to more people? Because it's like turning a lamp in their life. It's like bringing the peace. He says, when you go into a house, leave your peace there. It's when you go into a city, leave your peace there. Serve the lost. Serve the sick. Time out. Quit, quit being selfish about your existence and begin to get part of Christ's work upon the earth. He became like us that we become like him. You know you become like the object that you worship? I'm going to say it again. You become like the object that is your priority in your life. If you have something grabbing by the neck and holding you up to the last minute agenda, that's what you're going to become. You're going to grab people's throat and you're going to hold them up. But if you worship Jesus Christ, let me tell you something. You'll have a smile on your face. You'll be patient. You'll have the love. You'll have the goodness. You'll have the expectancy of good things, hope, faith, and love. We become like the object we worship. And some of you say, well, I don't worship anything. That's why you're nothing. You become like the object you worship. It says like this, he was rejected that we might be accepted. He was condemned that we might be forgiven. He was punished that we might be pardoned. He suffered that you could be strengthened. He was whipped that you might be healed. He was hated that you might be loved. He was crucified that you might be justified. He was tortured that you might be comforted. He died that you might live. He went to hell that you might go to heaven. He deserves your worship, your honor. He endured what we deserve so that we might enjoy what only he deserves. I, I'm so excited that this message has really transformed our lives. I've seen the goodness of God in our family. I've seen how God has taken and kept us. There's no object greater than Christ to be kneeled before, bowed down, and serving with all your strength, all your mind, and all your heart. Let's stand tonight. I want to show one last video. And basically, it says like this, what a strange way that the Lord decided to save the world. He called the likes of Joaquin Molina, Dr. Molina. He called the likes of Joey Torres. He called the likes of George Delgado, the likes of John Freeman. He called the likes of Manny Vega and Richard Naranjo. He called the likes of Francisco and Chris. And you're saying, Lord, you're trying to reach the whole world through us. Lord, help us. He called the likes of Jessica Sabina, Leanne Molina and Jurgen, Dan, Alina, Ashley Marriott and Christine. He called the likes of us. And what a strange way that he wants to reach the world and save the world. This song, it says, what a strange way you decided. He called Ethan, Giannis, and Ian, Giannis, and Jonathan in this generation that the whole world might know the reality of Christ. I want to, as we look at this video, I want you to enjoy this. And you tell them, Lord, I want to press further in to this reality. Standing at the manger, he saw with his own eyes. 
message from the angel come alive. And Joseph said, Why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why him inside this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now I'm not a one to second guess what angels have. Such a strange way to say the word. To think of how it could have been if Jesus had come as He deserved. There would have been no Bethlehem, no Lord. Shepherds at his birth, but Joseph knew the reason love had to reach so far, and as he held the Savior in his arms, he must have thought, "Why me? I'm just a simple man of trade." Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why him inside this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. And now I'm not a one to second guess what angels have. Is such a strange way to say the word. Oh, yeah. Now I'm not a one to second guess what angels have to say. Such a strange way to say the word. This is such a strange way. Such a strange way. A strange way to say the word. Oh, 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 Awesome, awesome song. And as I sit here today in this time, the Lord reminds us just, just like the Magi were following the star to that place to bow down and worship. Today we look like a, a bunch of crazy people going to church and worshiping our God and trying to hear from the heavens. But I think God is speaking very loudly. How many say amen? amen. 
He's reminding us who we are, who He is, what we're to do. And I want to invite those of you like me. I remember I came to the Lord about 28 years ago on January, on December 31st. If you've never given your life to Christ, could you come here and you say, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want the whole world to know that I'm a follower of Christ. If you haven't done that yet, could you raise your hand? If you've never accepted Christ in your life, tonight's a good night. December 25th, you'll never forget. It was on Christmas Day that you came into the house of the Lord and heard a world-changing message on our, me on our Savior. And I want to encourage you to follow Christ, to give your family to the Lord, to give your heart to the Lord, to give Him your strength, give Him your future, give Him your plans. You could rest on Him. His plans are better than yours. He takes care of you better than you'll take care of yourself. He'll take care of your marriage. He'll take care of the peace of your kids. I have four kids of my own, three boys, three teenagers, go figure, and a little girl, and we're all under the reign and the majesty and the lordship of Christ. A Savior is born. He's alive. He's well. He extends that salvation to you. As a church, God knows my heart is broken when we can't fulfill the legitimacy of the salvation that he's brought us. The Bible says if we neglect such great salvation, we're really destined to some serious problems. Because if he did not extend mercies to the angels who, being in his presence, despised him, how he's going to judge and condemn those that seeing his great salvation did not come. He's made it all clear and evident that he is a Savior. And he's an excellent Savior. And when I asked him to save me, I said, Lord, you know those lifeguards out there that are on Miami Beach? If they were to go out to the ocean to save someone who is drowning, they needed to be a good lifeguard. Because I can't help that the guy who's drowning can't help the lifeguard. I said, I'm not going to help you on this one. I need you to save me. I need you to really bring salvation. As I know myself. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm a thief. I'm crooked. I'm nasty. I need you to really save me. And guess what, guys? He's a real Savior. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. We're going to pray, and we'll dismiss ourselves listening to the song. We know that the next service is going to start in Spanish in a little while. You guys pray that those people who come here get the message. When you come every week after week, please don't forget who we live for, who we serve, who we worship, and why we do what we do. Let's give him the best because he gives us his best. Amen. Father, we thank you for this world-changing message on salvation. Lord, we don't want to neglect or despise your salvation, Lord. We're the recipients of your goodness and grace, Lord. And it's by faith that we are saved and not of works, by grace, Lord. So that nobody boasts, Lord. Nobody's doing anything spectacular. Nobody's the real deal or the hero. You're the hero. You're the champion. You're the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we want through your spirit, Lord, to be led by you. We want to obey you. We want to give our lives for you because you gave your life for us, Lord. And Lord, even though we're persecuted and rejected, we know unto us this day a Savior was born, Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, Father God, I pray in Jesus' name that you begin to work a full salvation in the hearts of everyone who listens to this message and that this church will be a world-changing church as we proclaim and lift up the name of Jesus as high as it will go in our lives. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name and the people of God say, Amen. As we sing this song, you guys...